Greetings to listeners all around the world. Welcome to Safe Dividend Investing's podcast number 138 on October 19th of 2023. My name is Ian Duncan McDonald. In today's podcast, I'll be answering three interesting investment questions. The objective of my books, my website, and my podcast are to show all those seeking financial independence how to become informed, confident, successful, self-directed investors. Question number one. How much cash should I keep outside my portfolio of high-dividend stocks? The joy of having 100% of your investment portfolio and 20 financially strong companies paying high dividends is that on the 1st and the 15th of each month, you're going to receive dividend payments. What you do with that cash is up to you. You can use it to pay your living expenses or you can reinvest it back into your 20 stocks. The objective is to have enough dividend cash being generated to cover your normal living expenses. Unfortunately, life does not evolve 100% of the time as you would wish it or expect. Car repairs, needing a new roof on your house, health problems, and other surprises can unexpectedly increase your need for more money. Yes, you can put most emergency expenses on a credit card, but now, if you are unable to pay off the monthly balance, you're faced with interest charges that could be as high as 25% of the amount borrowed. Credit card debt defeats the purpose of investing in high dividend stocks that could give an annual safe cash return of between 6 to 8% of the value of your portfolio. A portfolio of financially strong stocks value can increase by between 12% and 20% most years. This share price normally increases dividend payouts, which keeps you ahead of inflation. You could sell some of your stocks to cover the unexpected expenses. This could be costly. If you should ever happen to be in a market downturn where some of your 20 stocks are trading for less than what you purchased them for. What you need is an eternal float of cash to cover the unexpected. How much should that float be? That depends on your circumstances. Since even in market downturns, the high dividend payments of financially strong companies get paid, setting aside enough cash to cover you for a year of no dividend income would be excessive. Probably three months to six months of normal expenses is suffice. The float may have to be immediately accessible. A bank account that can be accessed electronically for transferring money to pay bills would probably be best. If the emergency float were closer to six months 
instead of three months, and you're expecting to be building your portfolio for the next 20 or more years, you may come across investment opportunities. Part of your six-month float could then be used. The float could then be rebuilt back up to six months. In the 2008 market crash, I'd set aside far more cash than I needed in my emergency fund. Never previously had I weathered a market crash with a financially strong high dividend portfolio. I did miss opportunities during that crash to add to the stocks in my portfolio at bargain prices. Knowing what to expect in 2020, I was better prepared. Recessions and market crashes are all a part of investing. You should expect a major market downturn of about 20% about every 10 years. However, it is not unusual to go through downturns of 10% in the stock market every two years. Since the downturns have minimal impact on your dividend income, you can relax and wait them out. In my investment strategy, you would only consider selling a stock if the dividend yield percent fell below 5%, while at the same time, the stock score fell below 50. This rarely occurs partly because as share prices decline, dividend yield percents increase. Share price is only a small component of the stock scoring matrix. The stock's book value, its operating margin, dividend yield, and history are far better indications of a company's strength than its share price. Patience and careful selection of strong, high-dividend stocks do build wealth over time. Question number two. Why do you not recommend investing in startup tech companies? To me, a startup tech company is the same as the moose pasture mining companies I encountered in my early days. These were penny stock mining companies being promoted by stock promoters. They were supposedly raising money to cover the expense of digging a deep hole in the ground from which tremendous wealth was going to be realized. You were advised to get in now and buy shares for pennies that would turn into thousands of dollars once the mine became operational. The sales organization promoting such stocks would be contacting thousands of prospective investors daily. They especially like to sell to doctors and dentists and others whose business experience was limited. It was a numbers game. Getting one in a hundred prospects to buy was considered to be good. Did any of these investors make money investing in such stocks? Obviously, some did, because successful mining companies do exist. However, what were the odds? One in a hundred? One in a thousand? Or somewhere in between? Most 
of the speculative mines were never successful. In mining company, there are many abandoned holes in the ground. The stock promoters made money. They had beautiful homes in the best part of town. A tech company with a hot idea of becoming another Microsoft or Google faces similar odds to realizing success. Microsoft, at one time, was a penny stock, working from the garage of a parent. IBM told Gates when he was starting out 50 years ago that no one needed a personal computer. This fact is used by every startup tech company promoting shares that appeal to the get-rich-quick dreams of some speculators. They will suggest that you take the chance that they too could be another Microsoft. Perhaps they will be another tech giant, but it is a hard, cruel world out there. Thousands of competitors constantly evolving new technologies, mistakes in design and marketing, underfunding, poor management, government interference, and bad luck take their toll. Such tech companies will most likely disappear within five years. They do not usually go bankrupt. They just fade away as limited companies without assets. Their employees may have learned valuable lessons to be employed in the next startup. There are some private tech companies with decades of successful operations. They are established companies with experienced employees and hundreds, even thousands, of established customers. Such companies, if they decide to go public and sell shares in their company, can provide investors with factual financial trend figures and customer satisfaction studies. Their growth has come from investing their profits in their own technology. They are not startups. Such companies are worth considering. You are still lacking a historical record of share prices and dividend payouts, but if you are a speculator, they could be worth the gamble. I am not a speculator, nor do I feel I have missed out on any opportunities to get rich quick. I only invest in stocks with depth and substance who score over 50 with my stock scoring software. This has provided me with a generous, stress-free income for 19 years. Why speculate if you don't need to? Question number three. What feelings do the executives of a large public company have for their company's shareholders? In a company with hundreds of thousands, even millions of shareholders, very little thought is given to the shareholder with a few thousand shares. They are people that the executives will most likely never encounter. The executives feel safe and ignoring them. Yes, every shareholder is invited 
to the company's annual meeting where directors are elected. A very small percentage of the shareholders bother appearing, and if they do, they generally have nothing to say and few questions to ask of the executives. Many investors have only a fuzzy understanding of the problems and missed opportunities this giant corporation has faced in the last year and what challenges it faces in the future. If the executives were asked a question, the answers would always describe the future as being rosy with great expectations for rising profits. After all, these executives are being paid by that corporation and not about to bite the hand that feeds them. Shareholders do get to vote for the slate of directors being promoted by the chief executive of the company. That is, if they can be so bothered. The CEO is a dictator. Corporations are not democracies. Only those directors who the chief executive officer expects will totally support his agenda are presented to the shareholders to vote on. Prior to the annual meeting, the CEO will descend from his ivory tower and charm the proposed directors with words of warm friendship, sumptuous meals at the best restaurants, and exquisite wines, he will buy their loyalty. If the directors are from out of town, they will be accommodated at the best hotels. These are all legitimate business expenses subtracted from profits. For these perks to continue, all the directors have to do is as the CEO expects them to do. CEOs do not like to be challenged. A shareholder with a very large number of shares represents a threat. Such shareholders get special handling because with enough shares, they could disrupt the smooth insertion of the CEO's chosen directors and derail his plans for the future. The annual meeting is stressful for the chief executive officer and the chief financial officer. Only the directors can fire the CEO, so he is under stress until that meeting is over. The chief financial officer, who is tasked with presenting an annual report that justifies all the actions taken over the last year as being wise and justified, is also glad to put the meeting behind. All the ex other executives in the company who know where the skeletons are buried and the errors that have been made are kept far away from the shareholders and directors. The CEO only wants his approved messages released for public consumption. Any executive revealing on sanctioning negative truths about the company would be quickly removed. A large corporation is a carefully controlled illusion. The company's profits are used to manipulate 
the stage performance with the purpose of enhancing the CEO's status, the company's share price, and in turn, the executive's stock option bonuses. Any threats from politicians and others who might introduce such things as laws harmful to the well-being of the corporation are usually quickly neutralized with threats or rewards. Thus, you have this weak, isolated shareholder with his few thousand shares who might see problems with his corporation. Who does he complain to? No one in the company, this includes the directors, wants to listen to complaints. They do not make themselves easily accessible. If a shareholder does persist and make contact, they may then feel forced to hear the shareholder's complaints, but they are not listening objectively. Their loyalty is to the existing power structure that the CEO controls. If the shareholder wants to bring his concerns to the attention of all the other shareholders of the company, how would this be done? There is no easy cost effective way to contact millions of the company's other shareholders. If the isolated, disgruntled shareholder wishes to become a director of the company to correct a perceived problem, there is no mechanism to encourage such a deviation from the plan for the directors laid out in a script put forth by the CEO. So, Despite the reality that the power structure at a corporation is not controlled by the shareholders, the corporations do stumble along for decades. CEOs who are skilled political animals can often hold their jobs for as long as they wish to hold them. What is the only cloud on the CEO's horizon? Hubris? and arrogance are the biggest flaws of large corporations. Smaller, more nimble corporations who are more in contact with the common folk can and do take business away from giants in every industry. This is healthy for the economy. Shareholders should stick with these aloof giant corporations as long as the companies pay their steady, generous dividends and are financially strong, they should recognize as small shareholders. They are just along for the ride and should not despair that they are of no interest to the corporation's executives. However, they should be prepared to move their money to another strong generous corporation when the dividends shrink and financial strength is reflected in a low stock score. They should never forget that all businesses do eventually fade away and disappear.
Thanks for listening. If you wish more information on investing and stock scoring, please visit my website, www.saferbetterdividendinvesting.com.